We're back. Another podcast recording of Hallway Chat. I'm Bijan. I'm Nabil. Is this two in one month? This is actually, this is two in one month. Dude, we're killing it. We got a bunch of things to talk about. I thought the first one is our friend Brad Feld wrote a blog post and it's titled, Did Tech Companies Ever Have Our Best Interest at Heart? Have you read it? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, I mean, so this post, you know, we'll put a link. Basically, addresses that Chamath, who was uh, a VP of growth at Facebook six years ago, he's credited with a lot of their growth stuff they did in, in, in um, international markets, etc., has some remorse. I mean, he's been publicly now saying for a while that, you know, here's the quote, I think we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. And uh, end quote. And, you know, that's a pretty heavy sentiment. Yeah. It sounds like somebody who is feeling it. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he went on to say, that, you know, it creates no civil discourse. It's dehumanizing. Like, you know, he, he went a little bit overboard uh, or no, maybe he maybe he was even being measured for how he feels. I don't know how he actually. Right. So, right. so there's, there's, two, there's two ways to respond. I, I want to talk about the bigger issue about our tech companies have our best interest at heart in a moment. But just, just thinking about the Facebook situation and, and his thing. I mean, Chamath loves, you know, PR exposure. I mean, you know, he just. He loves that stuff. So, I, I, you know, there's- You're saying one, there might be other motives involved. <laughs> there, there, there's some, you parse this and say, hey, you know, it's a, it's a great headline. Yeah, the other one is, you know, he saw stuff inside the mothership that's, that's worse than people imagine. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and and he's, he's coming, get his, getting his arms around that. Another version, which is like, hey, over time, he just realizes net, net, this is a divisive product. I, I don't want to like overthink it, but, you know, like Sean Parker is now, you know, has, has some real remorse about Facebook. Jamath has some remorse about Facebook. I, I've never seen other alums feel this way. I, I don't never recall a, a Microsoft exec alum, Apple, Google, Twitter. Uh, I, I I don't have any of this memory. Amazon. Um, so either you know, is it, or is this unprecedented? Just on the Facebook thing, and then we'll get to the bigger tech thing, or or do you think uh, we're dealing with a couple individuals that you know just have their own point of view? Well, I have a couple thoughts here. One, oh, 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 sorry, one other thing. There was an engineer that made made some press a couple of weeks ago saying something similar. I'm just trying to remember his name. He was an individual contributor. It was like in the New York Times or something. Right. So I have a couple thoughts here. One, just before we really dig in, I've started to get, I've started to have a knee-jerk negative reaction to the phrase tech companies. I've been trying to talk to reporters about this and entrepreneurs about this because I think the language matters. When we say tech companies that seems to encompass, and I think confuse for the average person, reader, listener, whatever, the difference between a 20-person startup and a 40,000-person company. And so I, I think the first thing we have to do is kind of separate these two. I think obviously what Brad is talking about, what Shamath is talking about, is you know, this, th- this, this big behemoth, these like huge companies, 30,000, 40,000-person companies, and their impact on the larger world. Right. And inside of that, I, I, I don't know what it depends what you compare it to. So, you know, do I feel like Google or Facebook has m- more of a sense of moral alignment uh, or concern than, say, the Wall Street banks? Uh, like like what, what, what are we actually comparing it to in terms of uh, large businesses? Right. Why do, um, why do you think why do we why should we compare it to anything? What do you what do you mean? Say more. Well, what? Well, then are we then guilty of like, what about ism? Like what, 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 
let's say, let's just say, you know, I'm sure people can debate us on this, but let's say the Wall Street banks have an institutional bias towards to doing the wrong thing for customers and civilization. Like, just, 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 just humor me on that. Like, sure, sure, sure. Provocative thing. Like, and and let's say Facebook has the same institutional, you know, problem, but they're 50% as good at it or or bad at it, as it were. Uh, does it matter? I mean, like, I uh, I, I get the point, but. The reason I want to, I started with the separation between very large companies and very small companies is because very large companies, by their very definition, have a huge impact. And so it's, it's kind of, it's gonna, it's gonna happen that there is going to be unintended consequences, that sometimes it's going to go right and sometimes it's going to go wrong. And so I do think it's worth comparing it to its peers, not because of whataboutism, but because like the way that my local baker interacts and impacts hundred million people around the world, you know, it's apples and oranges. These are not the same things. And so I, I, I do that. The reason I make that comparison is not to be like, oh, look, somebody's worse. It's that I do think what we have seen exhibited by Google and by Facebook is actually that they care, not that they're perfect, but that they care. Oh, and Apple. I mean, Apple has taken a stand on, on privacy that they think is really important. They didn't need to take that stand. Right. Um, Facebook is hiring uh, a ton of editors right now, like that, like because they care. Because they've now you can talk about did they should they have known earlier? Were they naive? Did they not act fast enough? Like of course, but but they it does at least there's an action reaction uh, that seems like they care. And more importantly, the next generation of startups, what I see from the next generation of social companies like Discord and and others that is that they're not cavalier about these things, right? They, they see what has happened for these from these larger companies that was, I think, in many cases, inadvertent, um, and they're taking proactive action even earlier. So that, that's why I think it's important. So it's it's an interesting point. I hadn't considered, so like usual, we haven't prepped for this. <laughs> yeah, we, that's part of the point. <laughs> I, I kind of have a different view here on, on yeah. two things. Stepping back on the big company, small company contrast, you know, Chamath, is citing a time where he was at the company when they were much smaller. So it's not that he left yesterday, they have 2 billion users, they control WhatsApp, Instagram, pop, pop, pop. Like he's talking about a time where it was a much smaller concern, still a big company, had a different impact on the political landscape. You know, like whatever is manifesting now uh, that may have a negative impact, he's, he's kind of putting some connective tissue between today's output and yesterday's moral compass or whatever. So, and then, you know, so anyway, that, that's kind of, you know, thing one. So I, I'm still trying to get my arms around your, you, I hadn't thought about the way you've described it, which is like, is there a difference between small company and big company? I almost feel like in a founder led company, it's kind of what you've got in your guts. And then your impact is going to just be whether you have that kind of reach or not. But I, I don't, it's, you know, Brad's question is like, I guess I am switching back to Brad's thing. Like, yeah, do please. these companies have our interests at heart? And I don't feel like it's a yes or no because each of these things are different. The Apple thing, I think, is a great example. Like, I think Apple has a very righteous view about certain things, and they're not perfect. I think this tax nonsense they're doing in Ireland is is an example of not perfect. But I think um, the privacy stuff, the encryption stuff, you know, and maybe this is cynical, but I think Facebook's response with these editors is is a political response and a, and, a, and a wild concern about getting regulated. I don't think it's a, you know, it's a moment in time where they go, oh my God, what did we do? Let's, look, we have some areas of improvement. Let's get to work. It's more like, holy crap, we're going to get regulated. <laughs> like, get busy. Do you, do you I, yeah, I think this is just, maybe this is just the cynical versus optimistic side. So 
look, I, I, here's what here's what I've I've experienced, and I and I, I know this will resonate a little, a little for you as well, which is that these companies start out as small companies. You know, they they start out with an idea of the impact they can have in the world. They're painting a vision. You know, I, I'd like to say every founder is a liar because they they don't, you know they haven't made the thing yet, right? The, the whole the the premise is a dream um, or a lie, depending on your characterization. It's um, a dream. That's a big difference. There's yeah. And 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 then they're there. No, and then their job is to go make that the truth, right? Their job is to make that dream a reality, that lie the truth. Um, along the way, most of our most successful companies that we've ever been involved with, that our friends have ever been involved with, worked at, invested in, whatever, have grown much much larger than they even thought, right? That that, that even the most expansive dreams of many of our founders didn't encapsulate the actual impact that they had on the world. And so that's why I mean there's a separation between small companies and large companies and the impact that they have and the things that they do. I agree that there's it comes down to the executive team and the founders and like this is why tech companies isn't isn't a thing, right? It's how does that founding team, that executive team feel and you know every single company is going to be different, right? But I would say that the pattern that I see that is that these companies are realistically and honestly caring about what is happening in the world based on their companies. Now, that doesn't mean they can pivot overnight. They can't make all the difficult decisions overnight. Um, sometimes it's taken the hard work of reporters to bring the effects to light. Uh, but I, I just, I don't see a situation where I feel like they are doing the least possible. Um, and, and, and maybe that's and maybe that's just a characterization. But but when I have dinners with these executives, where we're not talking to regulators at the time, what I hear is a lot of conversations about what might actually be happening. Do I mean you know this from Twitter? Like the conversations aren't what's the least amount we can do so that somebody doesn't yell at us. There's an earnest desire to make something better. Um, now you can critique that they didn't like they could have done more or whatever, but it doesn't seem like it comes from a disingenuous place. I I think that's a great point. I I think the thing that I I kind of find myself um, how I respond to kind of things like what Brad wrote is I just don't feel like you can paint this thing with a broad brush where these tech companies, so to quote unquote, big, small, whatever, have a, a shared decision-making process, culture, yep. set of priorities, et cetera. And so like the Twitter example, like, Hey, you know, have they made mistakes? Sure. Like product strategy, political, whatever, you know, but I don't, I don't ever second guess their motivation. I'm not so sure that same statement can be said about every company. So I, I, I kind of start with like, Hey, tech companies is, is, is a ridiculous label. It's like, does, does Google have our interest at heart? Does Facebook have our, like, I think each one gets, should let's get a talk question. about the Let's talk about the specifics. Right. Yeah. Brad's riffing on a bunch of these companies. And I think uh, I would put Apple and Twitter in one category. I'd put Google as Good question, and I put Facebook on the other side. <laughs> uh, just like, just like the media. Like I feel like uh, traditional media. I think you could say, hey, you know, these these networks have you know a desire to inform the users and or uh, audience, and and these other networks have a desire to manipulate the audience. I think there's a. It's not like all media. It, and it actually, be very unhealthy to have a knee jerk, um, defensive reaction to the idea that a company uh, isn't maybe a bad actor. Right. Sometimes companies are bad actors. Right. You know, I'm not a big fan of Amazon this month. I think, you know, out of all the companies we talked about, the one that seems like it's in its own most self-interest is probably actually Amazon. Yeah. Tell me why. It's a long history, but, but you know, it goes to the most recent incident is, well, you know, the Google Amazon spat that's going on where they've yanked YouTube off of the fire because 
Amazon. I actually don't even know how it started because Amazon removed Nest from their shopping experience. And I mean, it basically looks like two prattling teenagers, <laughs> you know, yelling at each other in a high school hallway. Uh, like it's just, it's the most inane uh, egotistical, uh, you know, e- expression. Unfortunately, it just hurts consumers, right? Right, um, right. But was there also like part of the course, like did Apple do the same thing to Nest when Google acquired Nest? Oh, that. Well, I know that they used to sell the Nest at Apple stores. I don't know if they still do or not. Uh, yeah, here, I see an article as of tw- 2015, Apple's removed the Google Nest smart thermostats from its online store and physical retail stores following the launch of some of their first HomeKit devices. Yeah, I, I thought you're. I thought so you're, you're. You're going back to par for the course. Well, I mean, <laughs> That's just normal. Lar- large companies uh, trying to play strategic games. Yeah. yeah, it's it's crappy. I I hate that. If that's true, I I hate that. I I hope it's. I hope they kicked them out because they couldn't agree on the margins of the store or something else. I hope it wasn't like a a tip for tap. Thing. Oh, it was it was days away. It was you know it was three months ago. YouTube pulled its programming from the the new Echo device, that show device. Yeah. And then like literally a few days later, Amazon stopped selling the, the all the Nest products. And then two weeks ago, Amazon got YouTube back on the Echo show but by just like showing a web page and then just displaying like basically like a web view, which was terrible. Even that, you know, uh, then YouTube fired back and was like, nope, against toss, you're not doing that uh, and, and blocked it. Um, so no, I mean this is this is uh, absolutely just petty, uh, petty fighting. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's not right. I I have a very uh, mixed feelings about Amazon as a not as a uh, industry point of view, but just as a customer. I mean, I feel like on one hand it's so so convenient, unbelievably convenient to be an Amazon Prime customer, uh, but it's starting to feel a little a little bad. Yeah, but you're not going to stop using it. This is the the problem with this is that consumers are driven by convenience over anything else and a, and a good product is going to win. Um, it takes a lot for, for a good product to not win. Right. And, uh, and, and, it, and I think, you know, I think we've seen this in the behavior of Lyft's growth with Uber. You need a, you know, 90% as good solution out there to even have a shot at it. And even then it took, you know, years of Uber, um, bad behavior before we start to see consumer preference. And Uber is obviously the larger company now, but there's no question that the last year for Lyft has been phenomenal in part because of Uber shooting itself in its own, its own foot. There's no, I don't, I don't know that there's a, you know, corollary to Amazon right now. Maybe that's what Walmart's going to try and turn jet into. Uh, but, but I don't, I doesn't feel like in the marketplace there's a corollary. And so it's very, very hard to imagine anybody really you know voting with their feet and switching to vote for inconvenience it's it's exactly the same thing as the privacy debate which is like everyone theoretically wants privacy when it comes to it they'll trade privacy for convenience uh, you know a hundred times a day yeah yeah no i agree i mean i think lyft provides a great alternative in some markets because you don't really feel a difference really um but i actually tried jet recently and a it wasn't Awesome. And maybe it's just muscle memory. Like I know how to do stuff on Amazon. So that could be really part of it. The other part of it is as I was kind of like searching, shopping this time of year, I'm on jet. And then I realized, well, this is just Walmart. Like, what am I doing? I'm I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You're not exactly, you didn't just pick the good guy. (laughs) My grievances against Walmart is like a country mile. So like, (laughs) so, um, but I, I have been trying to buy stuff from more indie people. I've been trying to buy direct from the manufacturer. I'm trying to, 
I, I, I don't want to overstate it. I'm still buying a, there's a ton of Amazon boxes showing up at the house, but it's, uh, I'm at least, I'm trying to be a little more mindful. That sounds like a startup opportunity. Right. All right. Hey, can we switch topics? Let's do it. All right. So our other friend, Fred Wilson, wrote a very timely post, I think, for many of us in this business. Uh, it is also today. Uh, the title of this post is Return on Hard Decisions. I, I know you like this post. Yeah, I like this a lot. So, you know, Fred is just talking about um, reflecting back on the year a little bit, a very December style post and some of the hard calls that were made. You know, people lost their jobs and, and things that happened inside of the start, you know, portfolio companies he works with. And um, I think it, it, it just reflected really because I was just literally having a conversation with the CEO yesterday uh, who will go, you know, unnamed here, but but was going through one of those situations. He he has had somebody who is a co-founder of the company who he's weighing maybe having to let go. Um, and he just let go two other people this week and is not just thinking about how hard those decisions were, but, um, you know, but what does it mean for his culture and his company? You know, how do you weigh the institutional knowledge and moral authority of somebody who's been around for a long time with somebody that might just not be a fit anymore? And, um, and it's, it is amazing to me over and over again how many times when you come to those hard decisions, if you can push yourself through them, it's like, it's almost always you look back, like literally always you look back and you're like, that, that felt like a better, that felt like a better choice. I'm so glad I got through that um, versus pushing it off. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I feel like in these startups in particular, I mean, there's hard decisions everywhere, but in startups, the hardest decision is clearly um, that CEOs have to make our layoffs, I, I think. Um, and um, you're close to your employees. You've probably hired every single one of them. They joined because of you. I mean, so it is, it is ridiculously hard. I struggle to think of a single time where a company made the layoff and then because they needed to, uh, right. to survive and regretted it. I, now I, I know of companies that didn't handle it as well as they should have in communication and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of like, I mean, the example I can I can share easily is is the Runkeeper example where Jason, you know, fired probably took the burn rate down by like you know probably almost forty percent, which is a mm -hmm. meaningful cut. Got the company profitable, um, then had a had a really nice exit that was was um, you know had a big impact on all all involved. And so that's the one I could talk about. That was super hard. I, I think founders you know worry that about all those people they let go. Then they worry about all the good people they want to keep that they're worried they're going to head for the door because they just let 40% of the people go. And, but you know, we've had other companies I can think of two companies that I'm on the board of that went through this. And, uh, it, it always feels like this crazy amount of work, crazy amount of stress, but, uh, always the right thing to do for the company and the employees that, you know, and customers are trying to, to support. And certainly versus the inverse of that, which is having a conversation with a CEO month after month after month about how their current burn rate and their current team size is just unsustainable for where the company is. And they just need more time. They need more oxygen to try and get through. You still believe in this company long term, but man, they just, they need more oxygen to get through. Those stories don't usually end up very, very well, right? Right. Um, I think one of the things that makes this hard is, you know, really early on, if you're a founder who cares deeply about culture then you end up being a kind of like higher, slow, high loyalty um, is your pattern. You, you wait, 
you, you know, you interview a bunch of people, you know, five dinners, like whatever it takes to make sure that this person fits into this wonderful culture that you're building and you try and be really thorough. And then if that person's a little bit off or whatever, you, 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 you know, you work with them, you coach them, you get them leadership guidance. You don't expect that everybody's ever led people before because it's, you know, early stage company. Some people need training. They're moving around to different positions. There's kind of this, in, you know, indoctrinated belief that, that you just keep with people for a long time. You find a new role for them and so on and so forth. Once you get into hypergrowth, um, you know, you almost have to invert that in order to be able to grow properly. And, uh, and that's a very unnatural thing when, when the whole business has been predicated on the opposite, right? So if you still try and hire slow, which is one thing this, this CEO was talking about yesterday, he's like, look, I'm in, I've been growing, I've been, you know, doubling headcount this year. And I, ha I just, I haven't been able to hire any executives. And I think part of the problem is that I'm just trying to hire the absolute, absolute perfect, you know, 10 out of 10 across everything. That person might not exist. And, uh, and I'm also missing upside. Right. You're not looking at you're looking at the every time a candidate comes in, I'm looking at the downside, the one or two or three things that might not be perfect. Right. Um, and moving into a higher fast and then to be able to let go fast. If you know that person's not a fit after 30 days, then, you know, you know, rip the bandaid off and move on. Um, that's not to say you're disloyal to employees who've been with you for a long time. You should be loyal. But um, but being able to get into that cycle, I think, is actually a really hard transition. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 uh, it's all quite true. Yeah, I I I think you know Fred Fred's post is is unbelievably hard to also I think come to terms with because most VCs I, I you know what I love about Fred is his uh, his honesty. Most VCs are probably like I'm not writing that because I want people to think my portfolio is killing it. Like you know, but okay. clearly uh, he had a restructuring year. Yeah, <laughs> and he even used those words uh, repeatedly throughout the post. So. Um, and you know, he's saying he had trouble sleeping. I mean, I, 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 uh, that resonates with, with, uh, with this job for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if it resonates for everybody, but certainly, <laughs> certainly for you, me, Fred, that, you know, there's a lot of investors that really do care and, and, and the truth is they can't all be killing it. Right. And then the place you spend your time and energy inevitably, uh, are the companies that are going through transitions that are having trouble because you're, you're trying to help. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lighter um, topics. Should we move on to lighter topics? Can we talk, you know, we have, can we talk about Coinbase? Yeah, let's talk about Coinbase. <laughs> you you want to you talk about what Coinbase is just for people that may not know? Sure. Does anybody not know at this point what Coinbase is? It's the well, it's number, number one. Like, if you're the number one app in the app store, then most people know, I guess. Is that's, way that's exactly the point, which is, uh, I don't <laughs> think... To go back to the founders never imagining uh, the full <laughs> scope of what they create, I yeah. think I think you know in this case this is a great example, right? Where I'm sure you you know if you're you know, as you found Coinbase and you build the team, you have dreams, you talk about being this global exchange for digital cryptocurrencies, but I don't think you imagined you're number one in the App Store. Uh, I, I don't think you're you know now right now in the U.S. App Store at least the top free apps are. In, in reverse order, number three, Instagram, number two, YouTube, and number one, Coinbase, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Is this a good thing or a bad? Th I mean, so first caveat is we're, we are investors in, in, in Coinbase, Metaverse um, Growth Fund. And, 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 uh, and so in that sense, uh, growth is good. But, you know, just do you believe that this is a good thing or a bad thing? Just at, for consumers, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I I know that on the Coinbase blog, I read. I think Brian Armstrong, the CEO, wrote the post, but I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, no, he wrote it, December seventh. Yeah. Um, the headline of this post is "Please Invest Responsibly." An important message from the Coinbase team. I mean, talk about somebody who's got a real like 
head on her shoulders. I, I was so impressed by this post. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine, you know, a world where, let's say, back in the Web 1.0 world where E-Trade was on fire, that their founder would say, invest responsibly when they were getting commission on every trade. Or Coinbase makes money when you buy cryptocurrency on their with their platform. So for him to say, t- take a moment here, I, I, I thought that was pretty awesome. Look, I, I think this uh, thing with Coinbase being the number one app in the App Store and whether that's a good thing, I, I think it's a good thing as long as you know people are, are kind of approaching crypto investing as a retail end user with that in mind, that's a speculative investment. You know, mortgaging your house to buy Bitcoin, then it's like, oh God, I mean, I hope that's not happening. But if, if you're investing in a way that like, hey, this is your uh, speculative pool, I think it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, I think the thing that I'm excited about is like, if you have this many Coinbase accounts, what else is possible? Um, yeah, and, uh, I, I will go to the, I'm glad you got to the positive side because the, I, I will say a little stronger language. Uh, that the 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 how this has happened for me is is just utterly terrifying. Like I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> glad more. I'm glad Coinbase is growing. I'm glad it's a trusted exchange and that people aren't off on like the Mount Goxes of the world yes. trying to buy their Bitcoin yes. um, only to have it stolen or disappear. You know, a day later. But I think this is very similar to the housing bubble when I had you know friends I went to high school with who were speculatively buying Florida homes in order to try and flip them nine months later, which in many ways, I don't blame them for it. Like it, it is in our nature to try and create a better life for ourselves to, and if we're in a salary job, that's never going to, you know, we don't bear, we barely are getting by. We are looking for ways to invest for, for growth, to invest, to make money. And, and it was housing then um, it was, you know, dot-com stocks a little while before that. And, and it certainly seems like it is Bitcoin right now. And, uh, and Litecoin and Ethereum and I and I just wish it it didn't have to happen this way. This is completely against how Bitcoin was designed to be, right? Bitcoin was designed to be a currency, and you would never want a currency having hyperinflation like this. That's almost the opposite of a currency. Currently, it acts more like a speculative stock, uh, or as people have said, like digital gold. Um, and I don't I I don't think that's the core of what Brian was thinking when he started Coinbase, what Satoshi was thinking when he started Bitcoin. Um, I don't think that was the goal. Ideally, the hope is that it's what got everybody to figure out what cryptocurrency is, to open account, to get started. And then, you know, dApps will come along that will help them use that currency and they'll move on to other coins. And look, the beginning of the internet also looked incredibly chaotic and unmanicured and unsure what's going to happen next. And it starts to normalize out over time. And so my hope is that happens here too. Yeah. I mean, on the dot-com bubble, you had Amazon's market cap being crazy town and then it crashed and now it's left that in the rear view mirror. So you, you look at, at Amazon's market cap at, at, you know, at the bubble, you would have crawled crazy. And now you would have said, Oh, that was a good deal. Even at the peak of the bubble. Um, Cause they ended up transforming that into a very, you know, durable company for the ages and the question is like there will be an inevitable bitcoin correction here and then does it does it crater and go down and never come back up or does it does it have a massive correction and then it 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 kind of builds uh, something durable on the back end of it um so like today bitcoin's at 17,000 it's very possible that bitcoin goes to 5,000 as early as tomorrow <laughs> and not that right. you know we're we're fortune tellers here and then question is, is, does it go to 1,000 or 100 or does it uh, 10 years from now, will this be at 30,000 and it'll be stable and, and uh, we'll have, you know, 50 million Coinbase active users, you know, 
that that's a question, but that that's that for me is the measuring stick of whether this is a good or bad thing. Yeah, really, whether there's real uses, whether there's DApps, whether there's that's right. whether these ICOs actually pan out and there are new protocols in use. That that's really what I measure, and that, to be perfectly frank, is still very early days. So right. we've gotten everybody excited. I think that's wonderful. If you look at the Google Trends for for Bitcoin uh, in search results, like it's very clear that that much of America came out of Thanksgiving this year trying to search for Bitcoin and figure out what it's all about. Uh, my hope is that none of them, your or not a lot of them, end up you know losing their shirts in the process. I, I think the housing thing. I always had the belief that the real victims of the housing bubble were the people that didn't understand that they were buying a house they couldn't afford through uh, adjustable rate mortgages, you know, balloon payments. So you were kind of duped into a low entry price and then the thing got out of control. I, I don't feel like that's the dynamic here though, to be fair. Like I, I feel like, no. uh, now you may, you may come into the, the um, Coinbase or Bitcoin world thinking like, hey, this is a, a, an easy way to make money. There's no way I can lose money, uh, which based on this year's uh, appreciation, you may, you may easily fall into that camp. But I, I don't think, there's a, a uh, institutional risk of duping. Do you? I mean, I'm, I'd say that more as a question than a statement. I, I will see how responsible everybody is during this process. Right. I, I remember certain writers talking about how um, tech stocks could not, you know, fundamentally were structured to not be able to go down uh, during <laughs> the dot-com uh, era. And, uh, and, I, and I heard that last night as well. I, you know, at a dinner privately, I heard somebody excitedly talking about, um, how just it, there's just no way Bitcoin can go down, uh, yeah, which yeah. historically that, seems that, that's that feels reckless. Yeah, which historically seems to have some challenges as well. By the way, but anyway, <laughs> I, I like I, I think as long as that's not the public narrative, that's important. There are a lot. The housing bubble hit a lot of different people. You're right. That's yeah. the that's the most egregious. I don't think that's happening here. Yeah, but it is worth knowing that there are people out there in the world that are willing to push themselves hard to try and create a better life for themselves. Right. And sometimes that's too hard and, uh, and they put themselves too much at risk. That does happen. You know, um, that's why we have some, in some measures, in some areas, consumer protections, we don't have consumer protections here. That's why there's things like leverage on your house. You can't, you know, how far can you go in? And so you had people mortgaging and triple mortgaging their houses in order to buy two more houses because they right. thought they could sell them two years later and, and then make money off of them. So, um, so I don't think the worst of it is happening. I think my hope is that, again, we now have the attention needed to cryptocurrency at a mass level in order to really suss out what the use cases are going to be. And, uh, and that I'm excited for. Um, yeah, just yeah. a little, just a little, a little, a little cautious uh, around the edges. I think is is warranted. Yeah. Well, you know, there's also, I mean, we didn't talk about like there's Bitcoin, the currency or the speculative uh, security or, uh, investment, but then there's also blockchain which to me has this enormous promise, but still like hasn't delivered, you know, the killer app yet. And I do think we need a killer app to really um, appreciate the, the promise of, of this because, you know, I, I, know, I know people like talk about it as this decentralized open thing that has, that could be as important as the internet or is the next internet, but you know, we, we need our, our, we need our Netscape moment we need yeah i mean this is where maybe uh, you know i'll differ with the differ from uh, some other crypto investors and actually it feels like half the vc community at this point but i just don't i don't think it's analogous to the internet there's going to be one or two hundred billion dollar like there's going to be an absolutely massive company created out of this technology it's incredibly enabling but i also think its field of influence is very very narrow there aren't actually that many networks and protocols which benefit 
from mass decentralization. Um, and it's preferably the types of things, I mean, the things that it maps to are things that everybody else is trying to censor, right? That the nature of decentralized networks is that you're creating something that is unshutdownable, that is censor proof. Um, and I, I don't actually think there are a thousand of those things. I do think there are a couple of those things and, um, and potentially currency is one of them or stored value like gold is one of them. Um, but I don't think there's a hundred, but I, I, we'll, you know, we'll see. That's the, that's the fun of this stuff is we all, you know, we all yeah. get to yeah, yeah, yeah. experiment, explore, see what comes up. Um, I think there'll be a lot of value created by the technology. I just, I'm not sure it's an ecosystem, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, uh, that I, I don't, I don't know if I disagree with you either. I mean, I think the reason why I kind of say it like I'm waiting is because I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, and we also don't know whether that just to be clear, we don't know whether the, it's going to be a disruptive new company or whether it's going to be an incumbent that's going to move in. Right. Uh, we don't know whether, you know, the new coin that needs to be offered is going to be Filecoin uh, to be able to store files on the blockchain or whether, if there's any uptake at all in usage, whether just Dropbox doesn't offer that service. You know, I think right. as a good example, like I think we would have expected many more large disruptive companies to come out of, you know, the mobile app ecosystem than really did, right? It turns out that actually, unlike the internet, which disrupted a whole host of companies, you know, the mobile internet, many of the incumbents learned from the internet experience, you know, 15 years prior and, and actually adapted very well by either adapting their services or products or acquiring companies or doing what they need to do to survive. And, and so I'm not, also not entirely sure that especially given how much in the public consciousness blockchain is, that it's inherently, you know, not able to be adapted to by the incumbents as well. But that's the game. We'll, we'll see. The game. Yep. Hey, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Apple. Um, then they just announced this new thing and they announced it a while ago. They just started taking, you'll be able to take pre-orders this week. A couple reviewers got this machine early. It's the iMac pro. And you know, we spend most of our time with iOS. Uh, I think did our iPhone is probably our most. It? I, I, I'm so tempted and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I need it or not. And, and I'm sure the answer is no, but I was doing a bunch of, I, I shot a lot of photos for my kid's school uh, thing this week. I took a couple hundred photos from an event. And I'm, I'm calling them, I'm processing them, I'm doing all this stuff in Lightroom. And on my MacBook Pro, the fan is like, sounded like a turbine jet. I mean, it was, I was really pushing things around. You know, these were large raw images. And at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this iMac Pro with like 400,000 cores. And, you know, it promises to be crazy quiet. And, um, you know, it's, it's the most powerful computer Apple's ever shipped. Um, and it's in a form factor that looks like a consumer product. You can't open it up. And... I'm just thinking like, you know, it's kind of remarkable that this company is, is shipping something like this for the Mac. It felt like all the energy was on iOS. And um, I don't know, is this, is this a tempting computer for you? Do, you? do you ever see an iMac Pro in your life? Do I need it to mine Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have a need or use for it. Uh, and I think it's an interesting product to try to release into the market. I think the broader you know, question is, do we need faster and faster CPUs? Like does Moore's law matter um, when it comes to desktop computers or, or, you know, I think it doesn't matter for iOS. Like should iOS ship something, you know, three years from now that, you know, is an iPad or iPhone that is, that is 15 times faster and costs three times as much and all, all that stuff. What, what would we, you know, what would we get for that? I guess is the question. Right. 
I mean, I, I remember a time where I, I was always feeling like I want the most highest performance computer I could afford. And, you know, when I couldn't afford more RAM, I wish I could have afforded more RAM or mm -hmm. I, I wanted, you know, the faster processor or the faster, faster graphics co-processor. Like, like I felt held up by the hardware. Um, yep. And it wasn't like I, I was like doing crazy, you know, 3D models. I don't do uh, AR development. I mean, it wasn't like I'm on that side of, of the engineering spectrum, but like I, I did want a higher performance machine. And, and um, you know, nowadays, um, I, I don't feel really as held up by the hardware, except for these like moments in time. Like, I, I don't think this, I think the CPU is just the least interesting component for innovation inside of a computer right now. You know, right. I, I think the, the display innovation that we've seen a little bit uh, with the new iPhone, I think uh, the addition of the GPUs, and now I think what we'll see is, is new chipsets like that are, that are focused on AI and machine learning that'll be put into desktop machines and then eventually mobile machines so they can be battery efficient. I think it's just the CPU is a chipset that's like, you know, like maybe reach the end of its, um, its benefits from, from innovation. And, uh, and that doesn't mean it won't incrementally improve, but I'm not sure the yield off of it is the same, but, but it would not surprise me if in 10 years you're buying a MacBook pro, uh, or an iPhone 20 and that one has one CPU, which maybe has even gone down or stayed the same in performance. Um, it's just gotten more battery optimized. And then we have, you know, two or three different specialized chipsets focused on different areas of AI and ML. You know, in other words, like a matrix transform, right. uh, you know, chipset that runs, that's very battery efficient that could run really well on an iPhone, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think that feels more like the future in terms of like the lower level stack right. hardware. Although just from a, just an engineering marvel, this thing has up to 18 cores. I mean, your point about processors are, <laughs> I, I, I find myself not in agreement, but it has 18 cores. You can get up to 128 gigs of, of RAM. Yeah, Bijan, but like, it, like at some point, isn't this like, you know, it's just, it's Gillette, like this is just more blades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I mean, I has, it has 18 blades Bijan. <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait for you to buy it <laughs> and and it comes in black space <laughs> yeah that's just the this is like the profound geekery uh coming out where you're just like i want to buy it because it's the fastest and it's the best and it's a beautiful thing and i'm never I, my my cpu is never going to get above you know 25 percent utilized but you know <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to have to have that like little widget on my screen of showing CPU utilization just so I can see it like never go above 10% and, yeah. and either feel ridiculous for spending that money or, or so proud that like I've got all this headroom. Yeah. I say all that. I mean, you know, the other thing I would say, the last thing I would say is that the nature of technology sometimes is that you, you can't see around the next corner. Right. And so you never know as you, you know, increase capacity. If that, you know, is there a difference between that kind of capacity sitting in an academic research center or uh, somewhere else versus, you know, in somebody's house and do they do something different with it? Right. Um, right. That, that's, you know. that's, that's really well said. I like that. One, one, one last little thing. So um, as a follow up to our last show, um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about iPhone 10 cases. I, I had been using the leather, Apple leather case. You were using a case that you were excited about. What, what, what are you using right now on your phone? Uh, you're such a troll, first of all. 
I loved my case uh, up until the moment when you said, but it's plastic. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm currently, I I currently don't have a case on my iPhone 10. Um, Yeah. uh, I need somebody to make a case for the iPhone that is made of the same thing that the iPhone is made of. That's, that's my new, that's my new Christmas wish. I know it is such a different phone with and without a case. Yeah. But have you dropped it? I haven't. So here's my my new OCD issue. And I don't know what my problem is with this phone. I, it may well be just because I haven't had it that long. But I now have an inside situation and an outside situation. No so way. I do because uh, I like the feel of it that much more. So when I'm at home or in the office, I go caseless. And when I'm running around the city or with the kids, I chuck it in the Apple leather case, which is developing a really nice patina at this point now. I, yeah. Did you get yeah. any cheap chargers? I got one for my bedside table, the Samsung okay. one. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful to just be able to set it down. It's a little bit finicky. Like you have to have the phone on the little charger just so in order for it to trigger. And sometimes I end up just like throwing it down on there and walking away and it doesn't it, it's like I come back an hour later and it's still at you know, oh, really? Is this, yeah. is this the Samsung one that's uh, horizontal or, or slightly? Uh, it's like the one that pivots between horizontal and vertical. I currently have it in its horizontal configuration. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I have the Belkin one in some places and I have this one. It's called the Samsung convertible one. It's fixed at a 45 degree angle and, and I keep that at my desk and I can, I can literally just chuck it into that thing and it, it works every time. Um, <laughs> but I have heard experiences that you've just described which is you thought you were charging and you and you weren't yeah um so maybe maybe it's just shopping around for a couple and and maybe a holiday gift guide in the future can be what's the best chi charging um or if any any listeners uh, have been have been experimenting with android for a little while been using wireless charging we, we slow folks yeah. on the apple bandwagon just catching up uh let us know which one is the best yeah my weekend project is to try to figure out if i can like uh either find or or be clever about putting a chi charger in my car in an interesting way like all of a sudden these cables uh-huh. in my car i feel like can i get rid of these things yeah that's a good plan i like that idea yeah all right are we good i think we're good thanks everybody have a great holiday happy new year we'll see you next year yeah, Bye bye. Thank you.